Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, your sober buddy is an app that can help you get sober. Now, I've talked at length on this podcast about I'm a 12-step guy. Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life and got me sober. But there are other ways to do it, and this is another amazing way. Tara Zoe is the woman who started it. She actually started it, uh, I came to learn, with her father, who was a drug and alcohol counselor. This is a very thoughtful conversation about recovery. I'm very grateful for Tara uh, and, and her father for bringing this to light. Uh, it is an incredible tool that people can use uh, as an entry point or, or just as a feeler if you want to figure out if you have a problem with addiction, but it's called Your Sober Buddy. That's the app. Uh, of course, there's all kinds of links that we'll put in the show notes. I, I was uh, super, you can tell I feel good. We just got done. Um, so Tara Zoe coming right up. But first, my main man, Kevin Susan. Tara. Yes, how are you? This is Pete. It's not like, uh, you know, it's one of those robocalls. Yes, I can see your name on the on the thing. You're West Coast, right? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'm in Southern California. Oh, you are? What part? Uh, Newport Beach. Okay, my brother Kevin lives in Hermosa, so I try to get out there okay. a couple times a year. Yeah, yeah, so basically Orange County. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were uh, familiar with this area or not. Did you, uh, did you grow up out there? Um, I grew up in Southern California, yes. Not here, not in this city, but yes, in Southern California. Okay. Uh, but like in the Orange County area? No, I grew up in the Inland Empire. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's southeast of LA. Oh, okay. What's, so what's, like the, what's the Inland Empire like? The Inland Empire is, um, it's like a suburbia, you know, kind of people who, can't afford to live in LA, so they commute into it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they don't want to. You know, they want to live like in, you know, more of a neighborhoody feeling. You know, yeah. Um, but it's also it's like it's it's a very big, and um, when I was growing up, it, it's so it's like in a valley, so it was really smoggy. Yes, you know, because, I'm familiar with that. Like the, like the valley, yeah. the feel, the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> The heat. Yeah, so yeah, the heat it's really hot, really smoggy. You're in between you're in between like Mount Baldy, like the mountains and all like all around around both sides of you and um like you have to go over a mountain range to get to the beach. You have to go, you know, mount over a mountain range to get to the desert. So it's kinda like you're in the middle there. It's still pretty and, I would um, imagine it's a pretty terrific place to grow up. I'm sure. You know, I the, my perspective has changed since I was um you know, you're thinking, oh, you know, I live here and I, I want to get out of here because it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's middle to, you know, middle to lower class. It's not, you know, it's area, you know, there's some areas there that are, you know, higher end or whatever, you know, but you're always kind of like, I want to get out of this place. Sure. And then when you travel, you, know, you realize how really anywhere in Southern California, <laughs> which is so much better. <laughs> it's like the weather, you know, like you're going to these other places and you're thinking, wow, I was just talking, you know, down on this place. But just, there's nothing that replaces just like having kind of beautiful weather like all the time. And, um, nothing. I mean, really, it's every time yeah. I go out there and just the vibe, you're just like, every time. I think anybody that lives somewhere else has a moment, whether it's a millisecond or whether it's a you know, a couple minutes or an hour, like I got to figure out how I can live here. 
I gotta figure. I, gotta, I love that on the internet. Yeah, like there's memes right now that are like, um, people who live in California are living in a totally different reality than the rest of the world. Yes, yes. Trust me, my brother's one of my best friends. I talk to him all the time and his wife, and it's uh, it is a different reality in a lot of ways. It's super positive. So you grow up out there, and mm-hmm. you know the app is your sober buddy, and yeah. you have an experience, I guess, with alcohol and drug addiction early in your life because your dad was a drug and alcohol counselor. Yes, he was. And so I kind of had a different view of it all growing up than probably most people did, you know. Um, and it, But it didn't really become a part of my life really until, you know, the last six years or so with, with the app and everything because – like, it was something that I, I grew up in a very um, conservative society, a religious and conservative society. So, like, no adults were drinking, right? At least not publicly. Yeah. Right, where we were doing that. There was no drinking culture. Was there any kind of specific religion, culture. like LDS or? Uh, no, Christian. Okay. Christian. Um, but just super... When, like super involved. Okay. Yeah, super involved, super conservative. <laughs> For, yeah, super conservative. Like it wasn't like just to go to church on Sunday. It was like a everybody in the church is your entire community uh-huh. kind of thing. And so like every single person you know is part of this community and all your inner around God and this religion and faith. So, um, so it was very, you know, there was never anything like that. So, you know, until I got weed and everything of that sort but you know that was kind of my extent i lost you right there you said until i what until i until i got to high school when you know exposed more to like smoking weed and things of that sort that everyone was you know kind of doing but really nothing more major or anything of that sort what was your so what was your experience like because i always think this is interesting i've i have two brothers who are both sober Mm -hmm. uh you know i'm i'm Mm -hmm. sober uh just to give you some context, I'm sober 10 years, so I've been around a little bit. It took me a, it took me 10 years to get one year, right? Um, and then right. when I got when I finally got that and found my rhythm uh, in sobriety, uh, and uh, you know I, I'm a 12-step guy, but one of the reasons I'm attracted to people like you and this this app is because look, there's really no that's what works for me, but this is such. Mm-hmm. We're in the fight of our lives with addiction and whatever way somebody can find a foothold, a foothold or f- find their way, right. that's fine with me. And your app yeah. is one of the many, many ways and one of the better ways of support out there. But I wanted to go back to your your childhood. Was it, were you aware that your dad was, was he sober? Because he was a drug and alcohol counselor, so I'm guessing. He wasn't. Okay. He was not actually. He, I mean, he didn't drink. So yes, he was sober. He's not in. Re- okay. Does that make sense? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I remember. I mean, I remember us being shocked that he, when he drank even a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Where once while we'd be at, like the lake and he drink a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he was completely sober, you know, because he just like knew too much, you know, to not be. Um, and the way he got into it, actually, he was just like um, doing his, you know, you have to do a certain amount of hours as a marriage family therapist to like be, you know, certified. And he had done it with a recovery um, program. And then he really loved it and wanted to stay in that field. And so then he ended up being, uh, helping to create the first, he was on the team that helped create the first um, evidence-based outpatient treatment program. Oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and then he he was the clinical director, and he had his own patient load. So he really intimately knew it. It wasn't just like a theory. He they were you know doing it with everybody, and thousands of clients. And 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 then after they proved out that model that it was more effective, he went around globally and trained other clinicians how to do it. Yeah, that it was more what effective. Yeah, uh-huh. because yeah. at that time, so that was like in the eighties. Yeah, and at that time. You know, they were really treating um, addiction as a moral issue. You know, it was it was strictly a moral issue, and they kept. You know, they would. It was like they were othering. It's kind of like letting it kind of be its own thing, 
you know, AA was the only real option, you know, even for, you know, drug addiction, like if you were to go inpatient, yeah. it was all like what you would normally do for alcohol. You know, it was like an alcohol recovery. For, it didn't really have anything, you know, it was kind of just, um, you know, not developed yet. And he was part of a team out of UCLA that said, hey, we think that this is a mental health issue and that we need to treat it that way. And so then they brought in mental health practices. What a seismic shift because my own experience with with alcoholism in the moment I was sitting in a treatment center in Pennsylvania and one of the big uh, turning points for me was I was, they, they put the brains on the wall. And they said, this is your, your inactive addiction right now. Let's say you've been drinking and abusing drugs or cocaine or whatever for 10 years. This is what your frontal lobe or whatever. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not schooled on mm-hmm. all this stuff, but this is what it looks like. And it was obviously, it was just messed up. You know, there was a, it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was banged up. You know, it's the best way I can put it right now. And then six months off drugs, here it is. And it's a little bit more back to normal Then 12 months off drugs. Then it's mm-hmm. almost totally back to normal Then 18 months. And I was like, okay. So you're telling me if I come around here and I just stop yeah. this, like medically, scientifically, my brain will thaw out and I'll get back to normal. Right. And, and, and that sort of thinking, I think, uh, makes it much, just made it easier for me to buy in. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and hope. I, there's hope there. Yes, yes, yes. There's hope. There's always hope. Um, you know, that you can stop, but when you give somebody a little bit of evidence behind that hope, then it's a, it can be a game changer. For sure. For sure. And you know, it's, you never know what's going to be that thing that makes someone click in their mind. You know, that's like, okay, this makes sense to me. This is valuable to me or whatever, you know, it's not, you know, that was another thing. That's another thing that has had to be dispelled is that like everyone has to hit a rock bottom or everyone has to hit, you know, these certain stages of crisis in order to, you know, understand that, that they can make a change or that it's good for them. But that's not true either. You know, so there's, um, there's lots of paths that lead to it. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now a word from our sponsors. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever want to connect or you have any help you need as far as sobriety is concerned, you can always email us at thepayoff at roguemedianetwork.com, thepayoff at roguemedianetwork.com. Really cool update. I think the second or third episode, we had uh, a woman named Kim Chi. She's a pilot uh, for a commercial airline, and she lost her license because of drinking. I just got a, a text that she got her license back. So sobriety uh, is, is giving gifts away. If you can just stick with it, I know it's tough. Uh, Thanks. From the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins is a propulsive and vivid memoir about the journey to sobriety and self-love amidst addiction, privilege, racism, and self-sabotage. Best-selling author Holly Whitaker calls it an irresistibly delicious story. And MacArthur Foundation fellow and best-selling author Kiese Lehman says Stash is emotionally riveting. Buy Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins now, wherever books are sold. So how about your path? Uh, you were, you're in high school uh, and yes, you're and exposed to, to, to weed and alcohol. And, and how does that yeah. transition go for you? Well, my big thing was not about weed and alcohol. My big thing, <laughs> now remember, I'm telling you I'm part of this really conservative insular society, is I got pregnant. At 16. So at 16. Yeah. And um, that was a deal. And um, it was incredibly shameful. And it was, it was horrible. You know, it was a life changing experience. I was really ostracized and I was, but I also, even if they, you know, they weren't overly cruel, but you know, it was understood and I understood and, I had so much shame. And so I kind of just like turned inside out yeah, and buried myself in my shame, you know, and just became kind of like a stone wall on the outside. I had the baby. I got married at 17. You know, a judge had to approve my marriage. And um, Did you feel like you had to I get had, married because you were about to have a um, baby? No one, again, no one told me you have to get married. But I knew morally in our belief system, because I was part of the belief system, 
you know, that I had to get married. Right. Yeah, so was I. I grew up Catholic. Sense. Same deal. You know? Yeah. 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 So, and I. Are you still married to that, 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 to that person today? I am not. I was married to him for 20 years, though. Wow. You know, and we have, yeah, and we are, we're actually really good friends and we have a great relationship, but we're not married anymore. I heard somebody say uh, about their ex that they had a good relationship right after marriage. They said, unfortunately, the divorce Mm -hmm. didn't take, you know, we're still still friends Uh, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I like that. Yeah. You know, it it was hard. It's it's one of those things. We did something called the conscious uncoupling. I don't know if you're. Yeah, sure. Gwyneth Paltrow did it. Yeah, she popularized that. Yeah. yeah, and it. I love this concept because it's basically saying that you don't have to hate someone to not be in a relationship with them anymore. You know, and even if you are at an anger stage, it's like okay, something's happening that's causing these issues. You know, and you can work through them. So it's like instead of it's like kind of that you have a ball of strings and they're all intertwined, and instead of just like cutting all the strings, you kind of unravel them all. It's a little more realistic so, sometimes. Yeah, because, you know, you're really, if you don't solve the issues, then just getting divorced doesn't doesn't take that out of your life. Yeah. You know, I mean, you still have to deal with an angry ex. You still have to deal with all of your emotions, (laughs) you know, and we have kids, we have four kids. And so it was like, you know, it was really important and valuable to me to, to not have all of that like acidic energy in me and just to really solve that problem. So we spent years, you know, just um, unraveling that and, and healing traumas and healing wounds that we've given each other. And so now we can be good friends and actually really good friends because we have a shared understanding of our past, but also knowing that, you know, we stand on two different sides of the river and anytime we try and, you know, bring the other person over to our side of the river, we kind of drown each other in the middle. Huh. And, uh, I like, I like that <laughs> a lot. Fight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we can be friends from two different sides of the river, but it's different when you're in a marriage and an intimate relationship where you, um, you need to stand on the same side of the river with each other, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is super interesting. So you, 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 when you're 17, you get married. You've got, you've got, I get married and you've got this young child and and you're married and you, you say you go inside out. What exactly does that look like? Well, I was, you know, I had worn my heart on my sleeve. You know, I was a very open, like, um, very outgoing girl. And when that happened, I was so ashamed. I just like, I was afraid of any kind of vulnerability. And so I didn't even want to show people I was happy. Like I, I was so afraid of people and afraid of everything. And, and so I, um, did you stay like a, in that area of Southern California? Um, for a short while, when I got married, we moved a little just in, to LA. Okay. But, um, but and I, is there any kind of drinking or anything like on his side or, or like you, or you're still, you're, you're have, okay. So his, so his background is both of his parents were uh, had severe substance use disorder. Okay. So he was a non-drinker, non-user because of that, but the ripple effect from their addiction it came into my family. For sure. You know because it, because of the, you know, it's the reactiveness, especially with how young we got married cuz he hadn't worked through anything. He wasn't even aware. Yeah, and there's like, a, you know, the adult child issues. of alcoholics. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and it was, and it, they were drug, they were into drugs and alcohol and you know, it was a very, um, you know, horrible environment for him. And I mean, and, and he dealt with, you know, a lot of things like, uh, you know, not just abuse and things of that sort, but also, you know, uh, hunger. He had the urban glean and in order to survive essentially, you know, and at that time they didn't you know, the system for kind of helping kids wasn't as robust either. So, you know, no one intervened. So anyhow, so that had this ripple effect in my family. And I didn't understand, you know, it took me till really my divorce to start understanding and really honestly working in sober buddy. Yeah. So you start to understand. Yeah. So you start to, and that's, I think that happens for a lot of us, whether you're, you know, Mm -hmm. someone like myself who has, you know, addiction and, uh, get sober. And then when you get sober, I mean, there's times now where I'm like, Oh, that's why, like I was like that, Mm -hmm. 
you know, like I've, I've, you know, my father was the best. I always say that. I feel like I need to say that, but he was, he did the best he could. (laughs) He did bright, but he ruled with an iron fist and there was fear. Um, and there was anxiety when he came home a lot. And, uh, you know, I felt like if I were, if like, like there was no talking things out in my house, it was, you get yelled at, you get scared and then you run off and you're, you know, he's chasing you or whatever. And, uh, so I I was always had this fear of like confrontation and I'm just starting to acknowledge that now. And the, the moment I started to feel as a young adult, I started to drink and you know, all of that stuff. I had no clue about till I got sober and, and, and now even now, right? Like you said, with, with, um, your sober buddy and your work with the app and with the podcast, you start to pick up on all that stuff. So it's like, until we even, we get, we get well and we start to go into getting well, it still takes a while. (laughs) It still takes a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely a process. It's definitely a process. And I feel like there's layers and layers and layers and, and again, it's not layer. It's we're not waiting until all of the layers are filled to be able to thrive in life. I think I just want to say that for anybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hope you can be thriving before all the layers are gone. Yeah. Because you're kind of, you know, healing and growing is a lifelong process. You know, it's and, okay uh, to not be a finished product. Yes, yes, and 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 that can be a beautiful journey, especially when you start acknowledging it. And and that was part of the thing that helped um, me to heal even with my ex-husband was as I began to understand addiction more and more and I began to understand like, and even like there's a whole thing on this is how children of addiction feel. And then I was like, "Hmm." you know, like this, I had empathy. I could have empathy and, um, and understand things enough to be like, why is this, why is he acting crazy? (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Why are you being crazy? I don't know. So, but, you know, even returning back to um, the, you know, talking about coping mechanisms and everything and being in the shame. And I did end up having three kids by 21. Okay. So I, you know, was on that path. You know, once you, it's a, it's a kind of cultural, like once you get married, you know, you're just having the kids. And, um, Do you look back on that and, and you're happy about that? I mean, I would think. You, you... I mean. I, I'm happy I have a big family and I'm happy about all that. And actually, I mean, just logistically, you know, I'm 39 and I have three adult children. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right. It's cool. You yeah, know, yeah. you know, but it was a lot of trauma and I do think I, I'm sad that I wasn't a, like a better mother, you know, because now that I'm older, I like, I have a 10 year old as well right now and I'm such a better mother because I'm older and I'm yeah. more mature and I, and I can separate myself from him in a better way, you know, like in healthier ways. Whereas when you're a child, you're going through so much at one time, you know, you're going through, you're, you're, you're having to learn how to be an adult yourself, which in and of itself is a really hard time for a lot of people. And then you're, you know, also raising children and then you also have to somehow individuate but how can you, you know, you have yeah, you're so enmeshed with three everything. children strapped yeah. to you, you know? So there's a lot that goes on. So I think it was a lot more of a difficult process, yeah. <laughs> but it, it also grew and changed me, you know, like everyone says that, like all of my um, stuff I've gone through, you know, has made me who I am. Yeah, no. And know? it's and enabled you. my children. And, and, you know, and, and you move towards this, the service that you do with this app, like how, how yeah. did you, how did you find your way to starting up an yeah. app to, to give people hope and, and to help people stay sober for just a couple, I, you know, I love, like you, you've mm-hmm. said with this app, you know, like, cause sometimes in sobriety and you, you'll just, when I first got sober, I remember I was in my first relationship and, and I did what I had to do, but I wore people out. You know, I was like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Before, like, all right, dude, you know, and they, they, they love me, you know, sometimes, sometimes with tough love and sometimes, you know, they were nurturing, but either way, I think I certainly wore people out, some people and your app has, it's a situation where you can vent, you can express yourself uh, multiple times, if, if dozens of times yes. during a day and you, you don't feel, you're not wearing people out. I, I think it's always good to have That's that connectivity. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Yes, I was like, I want, because, you know, I've formed people out, you know, I, you know, working through my trauma or whatever, you know, especially if you're triggered, like you just are like in a loop or whatever. And, um, and that was one of the things I really wanted was I wanted you to be able to tell Buddy 50 times a day that your life sucked, uh-huh. you know, like that you hated your life or you wanted to die or whatever it was. And he would just a hundred percent of the time have a response for you. And, and what is the response? Because, like most of the time? Well, it depends. It okay. depends. So he responds to you based on your mood and your current stage of recovery and your drug of choice. So he kind of takes all three of those things and do, and do consideration. And then he has a bank of answers he can choose from. I mean, so how is it, and how is that all based on? Is that all like, where, where do you get so, develop all this, um, this, these responses? Right. So what's really cool is if the way that I does myself, it, it kind of goes back to my story is I was in this deep shame and um, the really cool thing that my family had given me, and, and I want to give credit to my father mainly for this, is he had created this culture of like growth and change. And he would ask us all the time, what's your growth edge? Mm. You know, and we would, and that meant like, we had to say like, what are we working on right now in our life? But he didn't mean it in like a, you have to have a growth edge. He was just like, we're all part of this kind of beautiful. A, a growth what? Yeah. A growth edge? A growth edge. Okay. Know, like as if you picture yourself like constantly expanding. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and so that would be how we would start conversations. You know, he would sit us down and he would say, what's your growth edge? And we kind of all share what our growth edge was and you know, it was like group therapy. And so my father was a therapist, yeah. so that makes sense. You know, he would sit us down. And so I had this background of, um, like, understanding self and understanding growth edge. So when I got that shame, I really felt uh, isolated in my own body, you know, like just in there. And I, I went in internal and I was like, I'm going to work this out. And I dug into my spirituality and I went inside and I worked on myself and, and growing and changing and growing and changing and growing and changing. How did you do that? And just, just spirituality, prayer, just meditation, spirituality, prayer. Like that was what I had been taught to do. And that is what worked for me, you know, was that. And then, you know, because people, no one I knew understood yeah. what I was going through. You know, all of my friends that I would make, you know, were way older than me because our kids were the same age. And I was like going. You felt to, alone. Um, yeah, I was very alone. I was in this weird. It's interesting. I did have one friend who also, I met her. So when I got pregnant, they sent me to a program, like a continuation school where they send like kids who get expelled or drop out or whatever. They sent me to a pregnancy program. Wow. And. That program, in that program, and I wanted to say as a side note, was an excellent program, especially working in mental health now. I'm like, you guys did an amazing job. <laughs> we did group therapy. They taught us how to take care of a baby. It was like when you had your baby, they, they had like daycare there. So you could finish your high school diploma. It was a whole thing. And um, I did make one friend there who um, who was the only person who really understood some of what I was going through because you have this kind of juxtaposition where you feel too old and too young all at the same time Yeah. because you're, you're, you have this big responsibilities that none of your high school friends are going to have, you know, no one your age has those responsibilities, but you're too young to be in the society that you have to be in in order to like interact with other mothers and things of that sort. So it's kind of this interesting thing. You're a total tween. You're a total tweener pretty much. Yeah. You're a tweener. So I went, internal and into my spirituality and it took me 10 years i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna sugarcoat it It took me <laughs> 10 years to pull myself out and did you seek and any outside therapy i did not i did not because of i just didn't think anyone would understand me yeah no that's like totally real and, and, and people feel into, like that yeah every adult i ran into just there was a judgment on me like th- there's a stigma about teen moms sure you know, and, um, and there was just like this idea about me, especially then, you know, now sexuality is so much more open and, you know, there's a lot more freedom there, but it's empowering. I mean, it's in certain ways, right? I mean, yeah, a girl can go out and be like, I'm, this is what makes me a strong, powerful woman rather than, you know, dirty. We're around the same age. I'm a little older than you and I can a hundred percent relate to what you're saying. And, 
right. uh, growing up in and that. And it's changed so much. It really yeah. has. I mean, light years, which is a good thing because yeah. there's not good. there's not that incredible shame. I, I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, if a girl had gotten pregnant at 16 or 17, it was like, oh, what's wrong with her? It's like they're having sex like everybody yeah. else. Uh, like, I know. It's just like they just got caught. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's an, it's amazing the environment that we're yeah. we're we're brought up in and what we're taught and yeah it's a, it's a yeah. it's amazing. Even when I was giving birth, yeah. Even when I was giving birth, the nurses were incredibly cruel to me. Really? Like they were very rude and cruel to me, and they were like, and I was in pain, and it's like they would make fun of me. You know, I'm like, I'm giving this is childbirth. This is literally the most painful thing that anybody goes through, and you're making fun of me like I'm a child. And that's why I'm in pain. It's like, no, and you know, so it was just like a, it was a very difficult situation, but I did get out of it. And I, you, I kind of leaned, I leaned on my spirituality. I leaned on that and I just kept, you know, pressing in. And then I had this incredible epiphany and that released me from all of my shame, a hundred percent of it. And it's a total awakening. What was it? And I can't, I, it had to do with um, good and evil, and it had to do with like looking at the world differently and and, and seeing that you know looking at it as in a lens of intimacy and disconnection rather than good and evil. So saying, my goal is not to be good. Like I want to be good so that I can be loved, right? So I can be worthy of love. Yeah, that's why I want to be good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can relate. That's yeah. not ne- That's relative. That's not absolute. So, but what is, what I'm really looking for is intimacy or connection with people and not separation from people. And the shame is separating me from people, right? Yeah. It helped me to really see. And then I also, I just went through layers and layers. I was able to see myself and, and my, um, I was able to separate myself from the culture I had been brought up in to say, was this wrong, what you did? Like, in the, was it, like, evil? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's it's crazy or, to say yeah. that, but it's true. Like, that's kind of where your feelings yeah, go, and that's what the picture looks like in that yeah. environment. It was like I was the center, you know? I had people calling me crying. People that I knew, they were crying because of my sin. Yeah. You know, so it was like, oh, my God, this, the devil has taken her. You know, and so I had, and I really had to separate myself from that because I believed that, you know. And so to get to the point where I go, no, I was a teenager with hormones. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I went through puberty at 10. By the time you're 16, it's like, that, yeah. you're like ready, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're pretty ready. And so I was like, okay. So I, and then I was able to see myself and be like, that's ridiculous, but I thought that. You know, and release myself. How refreshing, right? Yeah, and I felt in my spirituality that I was connecting with God while feeling that. So it, it that was the justification that I needed. And um, and I I came alive. You know, I really came alive, and I saw myself in a totally different way, and I saw my truth as a totally different thing I, I was able to like see myself without this lens of shame did you have this epiphany just, when you were when, during a time of meditation or prayer yes yes so I would deeply meditate I would go, meditate for hours hours <laughs> hours wow and I didn't know I didn't know it was meditation I didn't know that's what it was called right and it, it was just I was so desperate to find an answer Meditation so is pretty much like starting and stopping. I mean, like in, in my, like I've read that and I feel that like for me, it's focusing on my breath, just starting to meditate and try to, you know, breathe in God's love and breathe out all right. my negativity. And, and that's it, you know? And, uh, for me, just the other day I was, I was laying down and trying to take a nap. I was exhausted and I was thinking all this terrible stuff about myself, judging myself and, uh, you know, and I was like, why do I feel like this? And I was like, because I'm I'm a selfed up alcoholic who's only thinking about themselves right now. And the moment I accepted mm-hmm. that, it's like, oh, that's okay. I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong with me. And I know that I'm not, mm-hmm. it's not my actions. These are my thoughts. And I felt this huge release. And uh, yeah. it happened during, you know, while I was meditating. 
And yeah, it, it just takes out the outside noise. And, and for me, it was like a spirituality thing, you know, too. I was just in my mind, I'm just talking to God. Yes. You know, and I'm listening, you know, I'm talking and listening to God. And so I would just do that for hours, you know, when my kids were asleep or whatever it was. And, and just, I would write it all out and, and just continue to move forward on this journey. And so you, and you had this epiphany. And I had this epiphany and it, mo- and it moves you. It completely, it was a true paradigm shift. It completely changed my life. So when I had that epiphany, I looked around and said, Oh no, like now everything has to change because now I know yeah. right? everything I had built, I had built for the last 10 years had been like shame reactions you know, trying to be the best mother in the whole entire world, like going kind of crazy with that, you know, doing all of these different things. And I knew that that wasn't my truth. That's not who I really was. Creating this perfect life on the outside. Yeah. But I had created this kind of like identity for myself just to keep me safe, you know, and, and I knew that wasn't who I was. So I spent the next 10 years basically blowing up my life and rebuilding it. Wow. (laughs) And and I went from being a stay-at-home homeschooling mother who grew everything in her garden, and like I ground the wheat, make my own bread. I had a cow share. It was it was serious. I was, <laughs> I, was I was over the deep end. <laughs> it was serious. <laughs> to, yeah. To like I'm gonna go work in sales, and I'm going, and then I ended up getting into technology and like building apps, and, and so, um, but in that process, I had developed a bunch of skills and so i people started to come to me because i was able to help them through things because they saw you so, you become that person yeah. who's who's attractive well, just, when they would talk when they would talk to we're going through yeah you know i would understand because i've been there i had to go through so much and i've and i have had to deal with so many relationship dynamics at one point i had to divorce my entire family you know, my siblings, my parents, I had to say, I'm sorry. Like I literally. Well, and why was that? Because of the way that they, the lens that they looked at you through because of, yes, yes you're, well, you're, no, you're quote unquote, like stuck in this image that they have. Well, not just that I was in an image and there was different power dynamics in the family, but there were also, it was, um, my thinking had changed and it had gone away from the, uh, religion thinking that they had. And so, um, even though I was still very spiritually, I was very spiritual and connected, I no longer identified with what they were saying. And, and they couldn't, they were very afraid of that. Uh. And I understand why it was very scary to them. And so, you know, again, drowning each other in the river, right. They wanted trying to, to drag them over to the, your side or they're, they're, yeah. they're trying to drag you yeah. over. We're both trying to connect. We're both trying to be with each other. But when we were, you know, we're all drowning each other in the river. And so I, I ended up saying, guys, I love you dearly, but I have to take time away from you. I have to separate myself because I can't overcome this. You know, I'm not a strong enough swimmer to like stay afloat while you guys are trying to drown me in the river. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I, you know, I separated myself and then I was very hurtful to everybody. Um, but it, it actually ended up helping everybody though in the end. And, um, well, they've got to kind of look at themselves. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. because again, they feel if you're operating from a space, this is my experience of true, like comfort and within yourself and f- operating from your truth, uh, you really can't be wrong. Uh, and people right. understand, and, and, and that speaks to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting truth. Truth is not always comfortable. A lot of times it brings pain, but it always sets you free. Yeah. And and, and that I have seen again and again. And um, It's hard, though. It's scary. It is. It is. And truth, me being truthful has brought abuse on me, you know, and I've, you know, I've, I've paid for my truth. But, um, oh, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Like, I know it's hard stuff to talk about, but, you know, you tell somebody something that they don't want to hear and it's your truth. After that. Yeah point you, you know all bets are off on, on, on what kind of reaction or what kind of behavior you're going to get right. so it takes a lot right. of courage to to speak your truth sometimes 
you know, and I was, and, and I had a good deal of naivete about that, you know, and I went out there, you know, and with my loved ones and I thought that I would show them my truth and that they would see how beautiful it was. Cause I was like, Oh my God, look how beautiful. This is. And now your I'm heart's watching. back on your sleeve. Cause you're back to being like yeah, that, that, and my that heart's child back on again. My sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. And I really thought that they would be like, Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you showed this to me. I feel so connected to you. <laughs> and instead, they were like, you're demon possessed. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, so there's, there, you know, there was a lot. So I had to get out of that. But trying to bring it, wrap it around back over to Sober Betty. Sure. It does have a point, everyone, I promise you. Yeah, no, no, um, this is great stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, through that, I realized, well, this, I'm really impacting people. And so, and I loved it. I loved connecting with people in that way. So I, be, I decided to become a life coach. So I went and I started becoming a life coach. I went and did all the things and became a life coach and had clients. And as I was doing that, I started to see like some patterns that I had been doing, uh, like website building as just a hobby because I thought it was so fascinating and fun. And I love graphic design. Um, I decided, hey, I want to build a life coaching app. I think I can do something cool, you know. What year is this about? It was 2016. Wow, okay. I decided to build a life coaching app. So I built this life coaching app. And, um, but I was kind of like, I want to change some things up and I want to get really specific. I was just kind of thinking there's something I'm, I'm missing here. And I was in a meditation. And and I, this is so funny. I've never actually said this story publicly, but since we were talking about meditation, I thought I'd just put it out there, but... I was literally just in a meditation and um, I felt like I saw that I needed to shift my app to recovery. And it's not super random because I had been working with my father. He had been um, talking to me a lot about the shame because my big focus was shame, right? Because that was what had hurt me. And which a lot of times comes with, with alcoholism and and, and abuse. I mean, it's a huge, it's the dark rider. That's, that's with you, riding right. the dark passenger right. riding shotgun. It's a huge thing. And my, and my father, who him and I were, were back, you know, um, in relationship again, he was talking about how shame really hangs out in addiction and that he wishes I could do the app for, you know, we could do it for the recovery community. And I just, like, saw it clear as day that this is the direction we needed to go. We needed to do full force into recovery, you know, and, and not spread it wide, just focus on that. And then once we had that down, we could go into other things. And of course it took over and, and we started to talk about how we could use this model for recovery. And in talking to my dad, we also talked about the fact that long-term success and recovery really, it, you need to have this, um, you need to learn how to build not just get rid of the substance, but how to build a replacement life, you yeah. know, replace your old life, how to build a new life in this really healthy way. And in my and experience, we use AA, yeah. but, 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 but not everybody yeah. does. And it's not, it's yeah. not a cure all. Uh, you know, it's the way that works f- for me, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, and, and for lack of, you know, they compare themselves out or whatever. It's great that they, those people have, this app, right? Like that they can go mm-hmm. to because I'm guessing working with your dad, there's data and evidence-based, obviously driven results that, that you get from this app, which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's really cool because we basically combine the method that he had helped prove out. It's called the matrix model. Oh, I've seen um, that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, um, life coaching into this app so that you're not only getting like all these coping tools and all of, um, and the, the skill building to help you get out of addiction and to build a new life. But then you're also getting these skills that you learn in life coaching to really find meaning and purpose in your life and to live the life that, you know, makes you feel fulfilled. And, um, and so it was a really kind of a beautiful combination of, of those kind of two understandings. Just How about for, that? Huh? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like seriously, I mean like, like the hard work of, of being honest with your family and with your father years ago. Now it's, there's mm-hmm. a, a, a common bond. 
um, and we're talking about this and, and we're creating something beautiful and magical that can help other people. It's the long road, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's there. Yeah. And it's really cool because this is an, this is an avenue that I can work with my dad on. Yeah, that's right? awesome. find a huge common By the way, sidebar, did your dad create the Matrix model? Is that what you just kind of told me? He was part of the team. It was a whole team. Yeah. He was part of the I'll, team I'll link that to the yeah. show notes. It's super cool. I've been, yeah, it's yeah really I learned cool. that a couple years ago. Authors. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a really neat thing that he was able to be a part of. So he's always kind of been on the forefront of like expanding access to care because that was about expanding access to outpatient. Like how can we help people who don't have the time or space in their life to go to, you know, in-person rehab, which not everybody. And, and by the way, some people don't have the resources or it's just, yeah, it's a whole deal. A ton of reasons. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a whole month away from your family, your job, everything. So, uh, and, and if you're in major crisis, that makes sense. Right. But like if you were a working professional and they, they created it originally for methamphetamine addiction, you know, it was like in Coke addiction, there was a lot of that happening in the eighties, you know, and at that time it was like, there was an epidemic going on then. Yeah. Um, and they, um, were like, we need to be able to have like working professionals be able to still go, you know, get treatment and have it work. So he, he's always had this like passion for, continuing to expand on how people can be treated, expand on access to care and things of that sort. And so it was a really cool thing. He was so excited, you know, and he felt so cool. He was like, <laughs> at company. it was great. And it was so funny because I was teasing him because he had to learn all these different programs, you know? And I remember when I was showing him, I was trying to show him Pinterest because I wanted to get, show him like an idea board I had. Yeah. And he could not for the life of him say Pinterest. He, Pinterest. <laughs> he couldn't even say it. Yeah. He was like, I'm going on that Pinterest <laughs> thing, you know? And I'd be like, it's Pinterest. He's like, I know, but you're like pinning your interest. I'm like, I know. They merged the words together. <laughs> and it was just so funny. But he, I got to give him credit. He, now he rocks all, he's on Slack. He, <laughs> he goes, he just, he does all the cool. Um, How long have you guys been, been doing this together? Um, he was, well, he was working with me on my coaching app since 2016. He was one of my, I was having him do a segment on marriage and family therapy. Um, so really we've been working together since 2016. And this app, uh, well, you said something, um, I've just done my research and I, I, I'd never heard this before. And for anybody out there that's got, you know, what would you would say, you know, is air quotes a lot of time in, in recovery, you're more likely relapse rates are higher after 13 years than they are after yeah, th- after alcohol. three years for alcohol. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. th- that 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 uh, was jarring when I when I heard you say that as somebody who's yeah. you know flirting with that number, getting up towards 13. You know, God willing, as we say, but uh, it's right. it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's specifically the 13th year. There's something that happens there. So what is what is what happens? Year, I don't know the brain science I don't, on, on the top of my head, but there's something that happens there at 13 years. Maybe <laughs> if you get, that's the time when you get comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's just something to think about if you know, yeah. 13 years. And, and I feel bad. I don't, I don't have all the links or anything to reference that. It's, it's just like a discussion I had with, um, with my dad, I believe once about that. So, but the, um, well, I, I'll try to figure it out. Cause when I heard you say it, there was, it was, it was evidence driven and, I think one of the things you mentioned and I, I experienced myself is, you know, you're a little more, you get, you get super screwed up on whatever it is and you become really connected in recovery. If you can, if you can work it out and get sober because you were so screwed up, you got to go so deep to get, to get mm-hmm. right and to get sober. So you have those ties and connections and then, you know, the gifts of sobriety get in the way of the gifts of sobriety and you got a full life. Maybe you got a family now and your job's demanding and, and you get away from, from the connectivity you said, and, and that's what you talked mm-hmm. about, right? Is life is about connection and back to the yeah. app. People can, people can find connection through that because I think it, it blows my mind that you can put something in there that you're feeling or where you are and you get a response uh, that's an educated yeah. response. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and we, well, we really wanted, one of the things that was really important to us <clears throat> is we wanted I actually, while building this app, I went through, I had a trauma um, event happen to me. 
And so I we're, we're in the middle of building this app and it was called something else before. And it was like just more clinical kind of feeling before. And, um, when I had this event, I, it really revert. I just kind of got into a childlike state, you know, it kind of reverted me back to my shame place and like brokenness. And, um, I just felt so small and so vulnerable. And, um, my son, I, there was one of my son's stuffed animals was next to me when I was like, I was just like crying on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's where I was. And I, I, uh, what happened? Can you say what happened? happened? Uh, no, because other people were involved. Okay. So like, All right. I had to ask. It was traumatic. Okay. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I got it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, um, I picked up this stuffed animal and I was holding it and it was like just giving me this comfort. And I realized like this is the state most people are in when they're looking for my app. And, um, like there, it's like, you're feeling kind of hopeless. You're feeling defeated. You're feeling really vulnerable. And, um, and I said, I really want them to feel warm when they come to the app. I want them to, like, I was thinking, what do I need right now? And I was like, I needed, I remember I kept thinking I need my mommy. It was like, I was, had been in this like yeah. childlike state. Like I need my mommy. And I wanted them to feel like there was something warm and like comforting on the other side. So we found this study where um, we were like, can people bond like emotionally with their device, with an app? <laughs> like, in a positive can way. We find, yeah, in a positive way. And we found this study about how people would get, like they would get connected to their computers and they wouldn't insult their computers. It was this whole funny thing. Basically it proved <laughs> out that people would bond with anything. We're just social creatures. And so we'll bond with anything. But they wouldn't insult their computers. That's interesting. Yeah. So the study was that basically they would take a survey. They'd, ha- they'd go on a computer and then the computer would give them like a question answer kind of thing. And then half the group would move to a new computer and half the group would stay on the old computer. And then they would ask them about the computer. Like how did the computer ask this question? Was it a good way that they asked it? Like, like performance and out like, Gotcha. on how well the computer did. And people who stayed on the same computer were a lot nicer than <laughs> people who moved to other computers. And at the core of it was because they didn't want to hurt the computer's feelings. <laughs> That's crazy. I can relate. Yeah. People pleasing. Yeah, saying we can all feel that way, right? Yeah. Oh, like gosh. Yeah. I'll go totally. So we were like, okay, so people can definitely bond with with objects and so we wanted to create this character and one of the ways that people feel bonded the most is when they feel like someone's giving them an empathetic response so that makes you feel bonded is empathy you know not judgment or advice but empathy and so we said okay we're going to have buddy ask you every day how you're feeling and then he's going to give you an empathetic response so that you feel like he's there for you and cares about you and you can bond with him and again, this and is based on the fact that maybe you're 15 days sober, you're a meth addict. Yes. And yes, because you need different empathy at different stages. So if you're saying, I'm feeling really bad, and you're like in the first week of recovery, you're going to need a totally different response than someone who's a year sober and feeling bad. Because the feeling bad is going to be from different things. And, um, or like if you're feeling you know, if you're feeling great at certain stages, like you're going to feel really great at that stage. And that's the time to like kind of set up, set things up in your life in a really positive way when you're feeling great, because we know you're probably about to hit a wall. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Right? Yeah. So oh, hundred percent. Three months mark where you hit that wall and you have to like get over the wall. So like you're feeling great. Well, one, don't quit recovery. Yeah. Like think that you're cured. You know, so we, so we give an empathetic response, like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And then we give like a little, after the empathy, we give a piece of advice. And, um, and that's my favorite part of the app. Like I have edited every single piece of that content. And still when I check in with Buddy and he gives me a response, if I, especially if I'm sad and he's like, tells me it's going to be okay. He'll tell me something about it. I'm always like, oh, Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it shows like, it's working, I though. I helped write it. Yeah, and I'm like, if I can feel that way, even though I helped write it, like. <laughs> what are some of the responses you get from people who who use this app? And because it's so hard to get sober, so if you're putting this app mm-hmm. out there and it's helping people move the needle and 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 embrace some kind of recovery and stay sober for longer periods of time, 
what, what, what kind of response do you get from them? We've had just this week, we've had someone send us a message about Save My Life. Um, we have people who are like, I just made it to 30 days. I've never made it to 30 days before. Like, and I do all the challenges. It just gives you something to do. Yeah. Right. You can do something every day. And then well, think of all the time, you know, I know for myself, I spent drinking, doing drugs. There's a lot. Once you stop that, there's a lot of free time or, or just time and space to fill. Even if you're busy. Yes. Yeah. So this is like something that you can, you can go on and do all of these challenges and all these, especially in the early recovery stages, the challenges are still building there to help you. Like, uh, we have a saying, be smart, not strong. Um, and it's like this idea of, you know, you're not always going to have the strength to white knuckle through it. So let's set your life up in a smart way so that, you know, you don't have to be strong in order to stay sober all the time. Yeah. And, um, so we just do a ton of skill building and, and, and it's all these skills that, you know, are learned skills, you know, how to regulate your emotions, how to avoid triggers, how to identify triggers, how to have conversations with your loved ones, how to find the meeting that resonates with you. For example, because we talk about the 12 steps in ours, we're not excluding 12 steps at all. We actually um, really wanted to make it all inclusive that you could be going to any kind of a program yeah, and you could use sober buddy alongside it because we wanted you to have, we don't, we wanted you to have extra tools, not like start excluding tools. So, um, you know, we, we help people do like, for example, if you're on medically assisted treatment, you probably need to find the different groups and like AA, you know, here's some other groups because, you know, that's not supported there. Or if you get, you know, there's different ways that we're saying, Hey, here's what you can do. Or, or if you're on something, you know, you need, here's the side effects to think about and talk to your doctor about, or you know, just things like where you would say, I'm afraid because I don't know. I don't know. Do. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I yeah. did, I did this podcast is so, if people don't want, it's hard to walk into a meeting or, or to ask somebody or tell somebody exactly what yeah. you're up to or what you're doing. So if you can anonymously just dip in someplace and listen or, or, or get on an app, I think it's, uh, it can just help people, right? It's like can ease them into whatever, whatever they need or just provide some hope. Yeah. It's, it's an entry point. If anything, you know, if you can get completely sober using the app, but I think it also, it helps you to, to to not be so afraid, you know, because it's, it's not, it doesn't take as much emotional risk to go on an app privately. You know, they always talk about the phone is 5,000 pounds when you're calling for help. Oh, uh, yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it's like this, this app is like, okay, like no one has to know I'm doing it. But then as you do it, then you're getting more and more comfortable with the idea. Like you don't even have to be sober to be doing it. You could just be watching the kinds of challenges that you could do. Well, give me an like example of a challenge. Um, well, for example, and we're in the very beginning, if you don't know if you want to get sober yet or not, we do a very simple challenge, which is the pros and cons list, you know, make a pros and cons list. What are the pros of using? What are the cons of using, you know, uh, or a cost benefit list, which is like, what do I, you know, what do I love about, what are the benefits of using and, and what are the, like, what are the benefits of continuing? Those are some scary evaluations off? for people to do. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. But also, you know, identifying your triggers is one of them. Uh, one of the big things we do is scheduling, you know, especially in early recovery, we say, are you scheduling? And what does that um, mean? Meaning you don't want free time ah. in early recovery. You need to fill up your time yeah. right? so yeah. that you don't, you don't, because otherwise you're just going to be sitting there thinking about using or drinking. <laughs> so it's saying like, fill up your time, you know, schedule your time. We talk about, um, you know, the, we talk about how to ease withdrawal, you know, um, we say like, for example, take like a cleansing bath, like a toxin release bath. And we say you need to do it with these different formulas, like, like um, Epsom salts or, you know, uh, I think we have a couple of different formulas in there or take hot showers or, you know, um, if you can go get a massage, like just these kind of like coping tools that we tell you to do. And then we also have you, like we have one challenge is 30 meetings in 30 days. As you get further, you know, try and find a meeting, any kind of meeting it could be zoom meeting. It could be smart. It could be smart recovery. It could be AA. It could be, you know, um, 
any of these other kind of meetings that are out there and try and hit 30 meetings in 30 days. That's a challenge you have too. So there's, so we have you going out and starting, we, we do challenge you to go out and get involved in the sober community because we know from research that this number one healing factor is community. Yes. You know, we know that the group element um, works. I love it. And anything else that's, uh, I've kept you long enough, but anything I left out, uh, this is really, this is really good stuff. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think that it's, we're so excited to have that, that people are really using this and that it's really helping them get sober. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, excited too. It was a theory we were trying so hard. <laughs> we're like, you know, we think this is going to work, but who knows, you know, we haven't ever seen it done like this and, and it is working. And so I just want to say to anybody, like, you don't, like, this is a big thing we talked about. Is you don't have to be sober to use it. So if you're like, I don't know, or I'm so terrified to get sober, because that's the biggest thing. I'm so scared to get sober. I'm afraid of what it's going to do. You can be an observer. You know, be an observer and just just dip your toe in it. That's what I say. Yeah, 100%. It. Just dip your toe yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, and then see if it's okay, and if it scares you, you can back up a little bit and go back in, you know. But this is a really um, safe way to do that, and just kind of see, you know, that it's it can it can be life changing. That your life can be better than it's ever been before, you know. And um, and it's just one little moment at a time. Tara, I thank you so much. You filled my cup up today, and uh, and oh, and good. and I appreciate what you're doing for people. Uh, it means a lot because it's like I said earlier, it's the wild west out there with alcohol and drugs and mm-hmm. any way people can, can find a way is, uh, is just super special. So I appreciate your work and what you're doing. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for listening to the payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course we are part of the rogue media network, all kinds of good podcasts. You can find it at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course you can find this podcast and all those other ones, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a rogue media podcast. 